I love those stories, don't you? They're powerful. God is at work in this church in a powerful way. And uh, I'm going to try my best to try and connect with you wherever you're at in your house today or wherever you're looking at this service on the phone. I'm going to try and connect by focusing on that camera rather than just focusing all over the room, which I normally do. So I'm going to try and keep my eyes fixed right there. You know, during this time with the coronavirus, for me personally, it's been um, like almost a lot of flashbacks because I've been here before. You know, in 1992, I was diagnosed with the Epstein-Barr virus. Our church was growing like crazy. Um, I used to tell people I felt like I was in the game and the Lord pulled me out and put me on the bench. And I didn't know why. Um, I was very sick. Uh, I was on steroids, antibiotics, all kinds of things trying to get better. Um, The doctor told me, she said, well, there's really no cure. I'm going to keep you on these antibiotics and things to try and get rid of some of the infections you have. But you need to just de-stress your life. You need to stay home. You need to be secluded. You need to uh, sleep more. You need to be resting more. And there's really no cure. Uh, This is just what you've got to do to get better. Well, that was really hard for me to hear, very confusing, just probably like your situation is right now with the coronavirus, Um, maybe even depressing because at that point I didn't have any way of um, financially supplying for our family other than the church continued to graciously pay me for a while. And uh, I tried resting, and it was not difficult. I I mean, it was difficult. It was uh, constant headaches and trying to recover, and it just never seemed to happen. So I was out of the office for one month, and then two months, and three months. I had never come to church, not during the week, not on weekends. I couldn't do anything. And my doctor was so afraid I was going to get something else because my immune system was so shot. Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. It was actually nine weeks. It was September of 1992 before I came back to church and tried to meet with people, talk with people, and started to preach a sermon. Out of the several sermons that were done, attendance had gone way down, and I felt like I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know at all what the future held. And I feel like in the midst of this virus we're in right now, that a lot of the things I learned back then, and I can think of 10 or 12 different things I learned, could be very helpful for you. I'm hoping I can use these to pass on to you. And so I put together um, little devotionals we're going to do, and we're going to show online through our website at church. Uh, You're going to be able to look at these different devotionals where I'm going to give 10 or 12 different lessons about things I learned. And today's sermon is really a lot about that. It's one of the major lessons that God taught taught me during that virus that I had. In fact, it was just about a year and a half later that my doctor told me that she really expected that like other patients she had, that I would get worse and worse and probably contract another disease, probably get cancer, kind of runs in my family, and that I would probably pass on like some of her other patients had done. So she was delighted that I even lived. I believe I'm here today speaking to you because of what God did in my heart during that time. And I'm hoping to pass on to you some of the things I learned during that time. And one of the major ones is what I want to look at today with you. See, today is when we really end our Beyond series, as Eric already told you. And we were hoping to have, you know, commitment cards and all kinds of things happening. And God seemed to be saying loud and clear, no, 
Just talk about giving your heart to the Lord. That's what needs to happen. Whether people give financially or not, it's about first giving your heart. And for me, when I had the Epstein-Barr virus, that was number one. That's what God taught me to do. One of the things I learned during the Epstein-Barr virus was this, that God is a God of results. Did you hear me? God is a God of results. From the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, when God creates things, he's producing results. He's producing results. When he calls out the nation of Israel, he's producing results. And the prophets and Jesus coming and the disciples and the beginning of the church and all those things, God's producing results. That's what God does all the way to the point where he goes. We we end up at the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible. There's heaven and there's hell. And God's results are evident. Okay, this God of results promises to produce results for us when we give. In fact, if you'll look in, in, in the big idea in the sermon, is God promises results when we give. That's a significant thing for us to understand here today. And that's part of what I want to try and bring home to you. See, when I, when I call on you to listen to me today, what I'm asking you to listen to is one of the major things I learned during the, the virus that I was in, hoping that during this virus, you can learn this number one lesson taught throughout the scriptures about God being the God of results. It's that we can only produce results in our life when we join God in producing those results. There's only one way to do this. There's only one way to join God in producing results. That's to give your life to him. When we give our, that, that's what Jesus meant in John 15, 5 when he said, Without me, you, can't, you can do nothing. He was trying to explain to the disciples that he's the God of results. All results are produced through God. Only when you join him by faith, trusting him, giving your life to him, will you even be able to produce anything. That's why he said, without me, you can do nothing. So I put down in the big idea, God promises results when we give. We give ourselves to him, give everything we have, our time, our money, our energy to him. Paul lived this principle, the Apostle Paul, and when he's talking to a church in Corinth, he writes to them about another church in Macedonia. I want to show you that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1, and just the first five verses I want to read to you, because Paul's bragging about this church in Macedonia, because this principle that he lived by, a guy that wanted to be very productive and also always produce results, found out I can only produce results when I give my life to Christ. He, He says this to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So here are people that are under affliction, having extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They were giving heavily because Paul was trying to raise funds for the church in Jerusalem that was suffering great persecution. He says, look at this church in, in Macedonia. They have affliction, they have poverty, and they have yet they still give generously for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first. Did you catch that? To the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. Wow. Wow. Do you get it? 
Do you get what he's saying there? He's trying to motivate the Corinthians to give by talking about the Macedonians and even in their poverty, even in their affliction, even in all the worries about the future and all the problems that they're facing, just like us in the coronavirus now. He's saying in the midst of that, they gave themselves to the Lord. It's, it's often not until that kind of a crisis comes into our life, something harsh like that, like I had with the Epstein-Barr virus, that really breaks us down enough to realize, you know, I really can't produce anything without the Lord. I got to give my whole life to the Lord to be at all productive for anything eternal, anything lasting. Well, Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, and I just want to read to you this passage we're going to be looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 10. Paul goes on to explain, well, here's what happens to the Macedonians, and here's what can happen to you, Corinthians, if you too will give your hearts and your lives, your time, your money, your energy to the Lord. Here's what happens. Look what he says. He who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's saying, here's the result that's going to happen. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce, there's that word, produce, thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only, uh, excuse me, for the ministry of this is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is also uh, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. His inexpressible gift. When I had the Epstein-Barr virus, I desperately needed results. For us in this country and around the world with the coronavirus, we desperately need results. Paul, the apostle, was telling these Corinthians, turn to God and expect results. Here are the results they should expect. We're going to go through. He just described them. I want to take them apart piece by piece and look at them with you. You know, this, this message I'm preaching to you today is not just a sermon to me. This is my life message. This is what God has taught me in my life. And I I literally had to be sick for nine months to begin to learn it. And that was 27 years ago. So I'm hoping that you can begin to understand this message in your life and learn what we all need to learn as a people, God's people, in his church. So let's take a look at it. There's three results Paul highlights. The first one is this, the result of increase. He's telling them, look at verse 10, he who supplies, talking about God, God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's saying that's what happens when you give. That's what happens when you give your heart to the Lord like the Macedonians. That's what happens when you give your time, your money, your energy to the Lord. You become very productive and God's going to give you the seed and the supply and the harvest of righteousness. That 
that's very significant for you and I to understand. You know, when I was sick with the Epstein-Barr virus in 1992, I, I didn't own a house at that point. Uh, we, we didn't have a, a very good car. Uh, we didn't have a retirement plan or money stuck away for anything. Uh, we had um, no, no money stuck away for our kids to go to college. And I thought I would probably be losing my job and my career as a pastor in the very near future. But then I read these words right here in this passage. Notice the word will. He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply. And I noticed the words increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is not health and wealth gospel stuff. This is not if you give to this church, God's going to give you a bunch of stuff and make you rich. That's what the guys on TV preach. That's not what it's saying here in the Bible. The Bible's saying it's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness, which is far better than having money. God's saying you're going to actually do something worth something. You're going to make a difference with your life. If that's what you would long for, if that's what you want to do, well, then what you need to do is give your heart to the Lord is what he's saying. He's saying because God will increase it. God will use this. God will supply your needs and the needs of others through you. Um, was I afraid? Yeah, Lori and I were very afraid. Uh, were we uh, confused? Oh, boy. I was really confused. What are you up to, Lord? I, I used to have some really good prayer meetings with him about that. Were we worried? Oh, yeah. Worried crazy. But at that time, believe it or not, we kept giving to church. Why did we do that? I want to tell you why. Because through my life at that point, God had taught me several times, over and over and over again, that I'm only going to be able to follow Him and be productive in my life in one way, by giving my life to Him. You know, one of my first experiences on giving or tithing of any kind was when I was about 19, well, I was probably 20 years old, and I had a little painting company with my friend um, uh, Mark Fisher. And Mark Fisher and I were trying to have paint houses, inside or outside, uh, for a summer long to make money to go back to college. Mark was going to college out west. I was going to college locally. And we were both, I had a lot more experience than Mark, but we were both painting and learning to paint houses and just our own little company, going out, putting out flowers and getting business. And we were going to do this, but before we did, a Bible study we were in, a, 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 the teacher of the Bible study, a man like old enough to be our parents who was teaching us, was challenging us about this very past description about giving. And so Mark and I talked and we prayed together because we'd pray every morning before we went out to paint. We were just starting going. It was like May and or maybe the beginning of June. And we, we dedicated ourselves to the Lord and said, okay, from here on out, 20% of all we bring in, we're going to give to God. I'm not going to take time to tell you all the details. It's amazing what God did to supply over and over. We came down to one more week that we could work before we had to go back to school. And we were really short. And God gave us this huge job, the biggest one we'd had all summer. And we got to make, make the amount we needed to make to be able to give 20% to our church. And, and see that God could supply college students college students with 20% giving. That was my first experience. And when I saw God come through so faithfully, I realized, you know, he can supply my need. He can give me the harvest. I just need to trust him. So that's why Lori and I, in the midst of, 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 of uh, the 
Epstein-Barr virus still continued to give, believing, well, God's going to take care of this. This didn't surprise God. God knew I was going to get the virus. God knew the coronavirus would be here now. God knew you'd lose your job. God knew that you would have problems with other areas of your life. You know, when Lori and I went to Dallas, Texas, um, we went there to go to seminary a few years after the story I just told you. And... um, we were in Dallas. Uh, we bought a house. It was a beat-out house in a pretty nice neighborhood. Been owned by a drug dealer. Most every door had been kicked in, fence falling over, all kinds. We just had to fix it up, paint it up, make it look nice. And we wanted to turn around and sell it to make a profit to be able to go pay the school bill, buy another house, do that. And within 10 months, we had fixed it up and I made $10,000, which in 1970s was a lot of money. But anyhow, $10,000. Wow, this is fantastic. Well, you know what I did? God said, I want you to give $1,000 of that 10% to your friend in Mexico, a guy I went to college with who was a missionary in Mexico. So I sent him a check for $1,000. Why did I do that? Because I believe God would supply my need. God would take care of my increase. And he did. Got through seminary, debt-free. Actually had a few thousand dollars because we sold another house. We bought another house after that, fixed that up, sold it as well. Came up here to New Jersey, started to go into planting this church, and I was told that I could not take any money I had made off that first house and buy another house. So I had what they called back then a capital gains tax, and the government would take four or $5,000, which is basically all I had left after paying all my school bills. And so to start this church, Fellowship Alliance Chapel, the senior pastor, the church planner himself, because the Alliance said, we, you cannot buy another house here. You have to rent one. I had to lose about four or $5,000 in taxes to start. I believe that's why God blessed his church, because I had to sacrifice to start it. It was a very poor financial move to make. Stupid, really. But it was the right spiritual move to make. And it was the right move to make to enrich what God wanted to see happen here. And I believe a lot of what's happened in this church is because of that. Well, I could go on and on and tell more and more stories of what God's done. But what I want to point out is this. It's we need to be fearless at this time. A.W. Tozer, a man from the Christian Missionary Alliance, our group said this once. A sacred, excuse me, a scared world needs a fearless church. How do we become a fearless church? If you've been listening to anything I've said, I I hope you listen to this. It's by applying this verse to our life. You're fearless because you believe God will supply the needs you have. So you're not afraid to give yourself away. We're not afraid like the world's afraid. They don't trust this God. They don't know this God. They don't see that the seeds are going to be supplied and the food is going to be given and our needs are going to be cared for. The Apostle Paul's pointing out that even these Macedonians understood that and he's like chiding the Corinthians saying, come on, you have much more than them. What are you so afraid of? What the world needs, Tozer says, right now when they're so afraid is a church that really believes God. And like I said here, the result of increase is believe. We believe God will increase what, what we give to him. Give your hearts to the Lord. Secondly, we learn this. The result of thanksgiving is what he mentions next. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched, he says, in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So he's saying you're going to be enriched in every way, and and, and, uh, 
over and over again, I've seen people talk about this, and I've talked about it myself, when some of the stories I even told you, and there's many more I could, where you just don't understand how everything happened when you gave. When you, when you decided, like, how God got me through college debt-free when I was giving away 20% of my income from that painting thing. How, how could I get through debt-free? I did. I don't really know how it happened. I've even had accountants tell me that, that they said, I, I calculate everything, and I don't understand how the numbers all worked out when I decided to be a tither. Yeah. It's, it's, it's God saying, like he's promising in this passage, I can make you rich in every way. I can make you generous. I can, I can produce thanksgiving to God through you if you'll trust me. This is not, again, health and wealth kind of preaching here. That what I'm trying to tell you about is a principle in Scripture. In fact, Dr. Scott J. Haifman, a professor at Wheaton College in, in, in Chicago, in the Illinois area, he said this. He's a New Testament scholar. He's a Greek scholar. And he said this about this passage. There is a principle of divine retribution in this passage. God gives back blessings to those who give as a matter of blessing others. But he withholds his blessings from those who withhold their blessing others in giving to them. Wow. What a powerful passage. This, this, this professor is saying, hey, this principle is undeniable in the scriptures. God is going to bless you when you give. He's in, you may not even be able to even calculate or figure it out in the bottom line. We'll look at the next two verses. Verses 12 through 13, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. He's saying here, people will give glory to God, give thanks to God because of three things that you did. Did you catch that? Submission, confession, generosity. The whole thing turns on, he's saying, when you will be generous, when you will confess before others the gospel truth that you're believing in, and you're submitting to the Lord, saying, I'm giving myself first to the Lord, he says, it's going to result in these things, the result of thanksgiving to God. What he's giving thanks for is that their whole life could point toward the Lord. If we're going to be able to have an impact in this world right now, it's going to come when we give ourselves to the Lord in this kind of submission, confession, and generosity. Powerful, isn't it? I, I just that, that blows my mind. Giving changes me, and giving changes other people. Because giving is how I'm going to produce results in my life. Giving my heart to the Lord. And whether it's money I'm giving, or time I'm giving, or my energy I'm giving, when I give that, it's how God produces results through my life. That's what he's saying here. I read a story just the other day about a guy named Lowell Berry. Lowell Berry was one of the major contributors to the Billy Graham uh, crusades that happened years ago, where, you know, literally thousands and millions of people around the, around the globe heard the gospel. Millions of people have come to Christ from Billy Graham's ministry. One of his major supporters was a guy named Lowell Berry. And Lowell lived in California. He had started a fertilizer business years and years ago. It had built up and built up. He had literally plants, fertilizer producing plants all over the West, especially on the West Coast, and was 
doing very well financially. So he had the money to give. One time he was being interviewed by a, another pastor, and the pastor asked him, well, Lowell, where, where did you learn to give, and when did you learn to give? Lowell said, well, it actually all started when I was 12. When I was 12 years old, um, I heard the pastor preach in church about giving and how we're supposed to take a portion of everything we make and give it to the Lord, and that God will bless you and use you, and your life will become productive when you do that. He says, so I went home and I talked to my mom about it and we prayed about it. And I decided 12 years old, even though I didn't really make much money, I would start doing that. He says, it wasn't until I was out of college I started making money. And then next thing you know, I got into this fertilizer business and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. Now I've got several plants all over the United States and I'm, I'm making really good money. He said, but it all started when I was 12 and I made a decision. You know, I've read that and I thought, here's Lowell Berry, who literally has produced results of people coming to Christ in maybe even millions of people's lives by supporting Billy Graham, or at least thousands of people's lives. And it all started when he was 12? It all started when he was 12 and he made a decision. What I'm saying to you today is that the pressures you're under now, the things you're facing now, are a golden opportunity for you to recognize this is the time I need to make a decision. I believe God is calling us to make a decision as a church, to trust Him, to give thanks to Him in the midst of even this difficult time, to prove prove our commitment to Him. He's promising us results by that. Thirdly, I want to show you the third thing. The third, first of all, result of increase. God will increase our, our giving when we give it to ourselves to him. And then the result of thanksgiving will happen in many people's lives, just like it did for, for Lowell Berry. Millions of people come into Christ because of his decision when he was only 12. Started there. Point three, the result of experiencing God. Look at the last two verses, 14 and 15. While they long for you and pray for you, You're saying these people that that you've given to are going to long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I want you to notice something here where he says that they, they long for you and they pray for you. Boy, isn't that going on right now? I mean, I long for you. I pray for you. You're probably praying for me. We're praying for different people in church. Prayer requests are going out all the time. We're having a great impact. Our care center is reaching all kinds of people, feeding hundreds of people. We're, we're, we're bringing medicines to people and helping people out this time. But why? Why are we doing this? Because we've been connected by giving ourselves to the Lord. It says, so this longing for and praying is going to be happening there. There's, you're going to be experiencing God in this way. And then I like the way they put it here, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. The surpassing grace of God upon you. They didn't see this as, oh, you were lucky enough. Uh, you, you were blessed enough. You, you, uh, um, this was just kind of happenstance. No, not, not, not at all. They're saying this was God and the grace of God working in your life. This is what I'm trying to talk with you about today. The surpassing grace of God in your life. It only happens when you give yourself to the Lord completely and fully. Your time, your money, your energy. And that's exactly what Paul's talking to them about. The surpassing grace of God. You know, God is a kind God, a caring God. Um, He wants us to be able to call to him 
even repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I didn't, I haven't lived right, I haven't thought right, I haven't been doing this right, I submit. I, I, my hope is that through the coronavirus, millions of people will repent. I believe that's, that's where revival, renewal really happens. And it needs to start right here in the church with us saying, Lord, I've been doing this all wrong. I've been trying to produce my own results. When the biggest producer of results is God Almighty. And Jesus said, without me, you can't do anything. I need to turn my heart to you completely. These people were experiencing God. That's what Paul's trying to say. I remember a book with that title, Experiencing God, that our whole church was into years ago, back in the 1990s. We were studying this book. It was a workbook that all of our small groups went through, I think, almost all of them, called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And in that book, Henry talked about how we often meet a crisis of belief in our life. A time when we can't figure things out and everything seems confusing and we wonder where God is at and we wonder what's going. Doesn't that just describe exactly where we're at right now in our country, right now in this world? A crisis of belief and the decisions we make right now will determine our future. Will we trust God? Will we give thanks to God? Like I said in point, will we believe that he's going to supply? Will we experience God more or less? It's really all dependent upon a decision. Today, uh, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're facing, I'm, I'm just asking you to make a decision. That's, that's where I'm going today. Make a decision. Make a decision to trust God. It's like I'm saying in point two, make a decision that, that the results of your increase are going to come only from God. That if things come back to you, if you're going to be supplied with food, if you're going to be supplied for the future, planting the seed like he's talking about, you're, it's going to come from the Lord. You're making a decision today to do that. Decide to embrace the truth that God will supply. Decide to thank God no matter what situation you're in because he's going to be faithful to you. He, he won't let you down. He's promising it right here in this passage. And decide to experience God. I believe that's the key to all of it. You know, I want to pray with you about this. But before I pray, I'd like you to watch this little video by uh, that one of our elders did. Juan Serdan is a tremendous elder of our church, a tremendous man of God. And hear how God's worked in his life about this same idea of giving your life to the Lord. Watch this video with me, and then I'll pray with you. Uh, my name is Juan Cerdan Diaz, and um, uh, we have been uh, members of our church over 12 years. And one of the things that attracted us to the church was the fact that um, it seemed that everything that the church did was uh, or had a, a fundamental biblical uh, foundation. And that was very important for, for my family and for myself. When I think about uh, generosity... I think about the fact that uh, generosity means, uh, you know, having the heart of, of, of giving, having the heart of, of, of uh, helping, uh, and, uh, having the heart of serving. In my heart, I feel like I was com commanded by Jesus to love my neighbor as I love myself. 
And then Jesus also said that uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So when I think about those those two uh, 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 you know thoughts that, that Jesus gave us, I realize that uh, that when I give and when I serve, I'm giving and serving my neighbor. And when I when I consider giving is is is, is giving of my time giving of my resources, which include money, and giving of my abilities. That, 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 that's all encompassing, right? And so uh, uh, we, we felt like, um, like in this particular church, we could uh, uh, give all those elements, and, and they will be reproduced, you know, uh, in a, almost you know, in a miraculous way. I, I believe that um, to give, there is an element of trust, do I believe that God is really going to, uh, you know, support me? And then what happened in, in my experience is that uh, there was a time in my life where um, we have we have been uh, tithing for for years, and there was a time in my life when when I lost my job, uh, and the, but we continued to tithe, trusting that God was going to to do something, and that that something was that I got the best job. I have had before after losing a, a previous job. So that I, I really believe that that's the element of trust. Some people are concerned about giving because they say, you know, I don't have that much. And uh, if I give, it's, it's about priorities, right? It's about priorities. If I, if I really want to trust that God is going to, uh, you know, do something for, for, you know, for my life and my family, when I, when I uh, you know, I give, that's the trust that I think that will help anyone, you know, to be able to give. There is something good going on in, in FAC that, uh, and I will encourage every, everybody when they come to get into that spirit of generosity, again, of giving, not only of, of money, not only of resources, but the time and the abilities, right? And then, and then that um, they will realize, as my family and I realize, that the more we give, the more we receive. Juan Serdan Diaz is a very smart man. In fact, he's a PhD scientist. And he's learned the principle that the Macedonians learned, that the Apostle Paul learned, that I've learned. Many of us only learn these lessons through hard knocks, through hard times. And it's the lesson that what we give our, when we give ourselves to God and give of our resources to God is when we become really productive. Because it's like Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So I'm challenging you right now to make a decision to give yourself to the Lord in a fresh new way. To, I, I want to pray with you now, as, as Juan so beautifully said, about giving your heart to the Lord your time to the Lord, your energy to the Lord, your finance to the Lord. We're not having any cards or anything like that here at this service. I'm simply challenging you to fresh and new, renew your relationship with the Lord and your commitment to follow Him. I'm hoping that this time sequestered at home like I was during my uh, Epstein-Barr virus would be a tremendous time during this coronavirus for you to be able to reevaluate your life, recommit yourself to the Lord. So that's where I'm coming down right now. 
and I want to pray with you. I would, no matter where you're at, and maybe when this video is done, you need you need to turn the the, the, the computer off, the phone off, the, the TV off, and just pray with your whole family. But can I just pray with you right now? Let me pray this prayer with you. Dear God, on behalf of everyone listening, they're going to close their eyes. They're going to pray with me right now over over the, the airs, airways. And I pray they'll be able to literally turn their hearts toward you with me right now. And as a church, all of us would join together, Lord, giving our hearts afresh and new to you, asking you to renew us as we say, okay, I'm going to renew my relationship with you. I'm making a decision that you will supply my need. I'm thanking you right now for what you're going to do. In faith, I thank you already. And I'm really believing, Lord, that you're going to use me in a significant way in the way I can give myself of my time, my money, and my energy to you. So as we read about the Macedonians first giving their hearts to the Lord, that's what I'm doing, Lord. Here you go. You got my heart. You got my life. Now you show me what to do with it. You show me where to give it. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do right now through us and in the hearts of the people listening. And I pray for our whole country and our whole world there'd be a mass turning of people to you for the decision we make today could literally change the world. And I pray it'll change this church and revive this church to be all that you want us to be, to be the church that even the gates of hell cannot stop. In the name of Jesus Christ, we now rededicate ourselves to you. Amen.